When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The following podcast contains explicit language. From Washington, D.C., this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm Bob Garfield with Mike Volo, and today, episode number 53, a new installment of Linguophile, wherein we discuss a mystery word or phrase with lexicographer Ben Zimmer. Hey, Mikey. Hey, Bobby. Hey, Ben. How you doing, boys? Splendid, thank you. And your own selves? Doing just fine over here. I'm great. I'm great. Before we begin, just a couple of very brief announcements First off, the television show, The Walking Dead, has resumed its fifth season after its winter hiatus, and Slate video producer Chris Wade and I will be doing a podcast, what we call here at Slate, a spoiler special about the show. If you like The Walking Dead, then please check it out. It'll be available for the first 24 hours for Slate Plus members only. You can find that in the Slate Plus podcast feed. After that, it will be available to everyone, and you can find it in the Slate spoiler special feed. Which brings me to my second announcement. We here at Slate are trying to learn more about our podcast listeners. We want you to tell us not only about the podcasts you enjoy, but how often you listen to them and how you find out about new podcasts. So we created a survey that takes just a couple of minutes to complete. And if you fill it out, you will really help Slate continue to make great podcasts about, for example, language or a television show on AMC in which humans battle for survival in a post-apocalyptic zombie world. To fill out the survey, just go to slate.com slash survey, or you can click on the link that we'll put up on the show page for this episode of Lexicon Valley. That's slate.com slash survey. Okay, on to this week's show. Ben, what is our clue? Well, we had a fun one last time with cockamamie the uh, four-syllable word. I don't even think we should bring that episode up anymore because it set the bar too high. We can't possibly meet it. So let's pretend it didn't happen. Okay, well, let's pretend it didn't happen. And let's talk about the previous one. Before that was grog, a nice four-letter word. Let's actually return to that four-letter theme. I have another four-letter word for you today. I, I kind of like four-letter words. I feel like I'm drawn to them somehow. <laughs> so Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bob has lalakesia, my word of the year. Lalakesia, did you say? Yes. A word that I learned last year for the first time and chose it as my own personal word of the year because I liked it. Well, this is a more innocuous four-letter word, let's say. It's a four-letter word that Scrabble players like. And in fact... 
It is the four-letter word that has the highest Scrabble score. Quiz. Yes, that's correct. Mike got it right away. Quiz. That'll score you 22 points in Scrabble. I feel so irrelevant. <laughs> Not a big Scrabble buff, Bob? I was going to guess Jerolk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, they're adding new words every year to the Scrabble Dictionary, so that might yet make it, Bob. <laughs> That's true. I wrote about kayak being spelled Q-A-J-A-Q being added to the Scrabble Dictionary. Oh, come on. Well, because one of the dictionaries that they're drawing on for the new Scrabble Dictionary is the Canadian Oxford Dictionary, which has a lot of Inuit contributions to the lexicon. And that would be the more authentically Inuit way of spelling what we would normally spell kayak, K-A-Y-A-K. I'm not a scrabbler, so really, I have no part in this conversation. So, Bob, quiz, where does it come from? I mean, I'm guessing quizzical? I would be shocked if quiz came from quizzical. It's got to be the other way around. It's yeah. Just, it's just gotta, 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 gotta. No, I agree. I agree. Uh, you know, I, I am bereft. I am absolutely without a notion of where it came from. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing to grab onto there, is there? There's no classical root or anything like that to grab onto. Quiz is just quiz. Yeah, it just seems I like... I mean, the Z is really the monkey wrench. You see Q-U-I and you go, well, it's clearly a Latinate and it'll take about one second to find the etymology of this. But the Z really throws you for a loop. Okay, well, for starters, I should say that this is one that we're not going to have a nice, easy answer to. It's going to be more like the ones where, you know, we're entertaining theories. Because if you look in dictionaries... Oh, so impossible and inconclusive. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but fascinating in, in its inconclusivity, if that's Yeah, well, word. we'll be the judge of that, <laughs> Mr. Zimmer. Well, if you look up quiz in dictionaries, uh, most of them will just say, origin unknown. But, you know, that's really not satisfying. I mean, we think about it in terms of our current understanding of the word quiz as a noun or a verb having to do with the uh, kind of test that students are familiar with, although quiz sounds a little better than test or exam. It's just a quiz, a pop quiz. This seems something lighter about a quiz than a test. It's not as important to your final grade, maybe, as a test or an exam. Probably, yeah. And, you know, there are fun quizzes online. You know, you could have a personality quiz, which sounds more fun to take than a personality test. That testing sense of it or questioning sense of it dates back only to about the mid-19th century. And it's mostly an American development, that meaning of the word quiz. So, for instance, William James is one of the early examples of quiz in the sense of test. But we have examples of its use all throughout the 1780s with rather different meanings. A quiz was an odd person, a weird or eccentric person, hmm. an oddball of some sort. So if you think about a quizzical person or looking at someone quizzically, you're not quite sure of them. You're wondering what they're up to. And so that actually retains a little vestige of meaning from the earlier sense before the sort of the testing and questioning sense of quiz. Mm -hmm. Although quizzical has the questioning sense too, right? That's true. That's true. I mean, because the questioning became the most prominent meaning of quiz, that kind of contaminated the meaning of quizzical too. Quizzical, when it first appeared, actually just meant you were odd, you were eccentric, you were a quiz in its original meaning. And so it moved along with quiz as quiz became uh, this new sense. You know, if you think about questioning words, even the word question, sometimes they involve that qu spelled Q-U. Mm -hmm. 
inquisition, inquisitive. Inquisitive actually has quiz in the middle of it, if you sound it out. It's kind of funny. When we're talking about the difference between quiz and test. The stakes are lower in a quiz than in a test. But... You know, Inquisition, it's, you know, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's uh, a big one. The stakes are pretty high yeah. there. Uh, it's not like there's, uh, <laughs> it's just a pop Inquisition. So it's very possible that these words like inquisitive had an effect on the meaning of quiz as it came to be used in the 19th century with that sort of questioning meaning. And in fact, from inquisitive, there was also a verb to inquisit, which means to investigate or to inquire after something. And that was shortened even further in some dialects of English to just quiz it, to question. Hmm. So quiz it and quiz, very close. It wasn't quiz it, that dialectal verb wasn't spelled with a Z, it would be spelled Q-U-I-S-E-T. But you can see how those other words might have had an effect on the meaning of quiz as it developed. So quiz originally was a lighthearted accusation, you're an oddball, or was it more mean-spirited? You know what? It was mostly lighthearted, but some of the examples <laughs> come from British schoolboy slang, hmm. where they're always looking to draw boundaries and call somebody a weirdo, right? Right. One of the early examples actually refers to students at Oxford and Cambridge. There are a few who take pleasure in conversing on letters, but they are solitary mortals and themselves are stigmatized in the cant language of the place. Cant meaning sort of slang, and the place in this case being the universities at Oxford and Cambridge, in the cant language of the place with the name of quizzes. So they were nerds, basically, yeah. in that environment. You could call someone a quiz if they were spending too much time in the books. So what you're suggesting is that this word quiz that had absolutely nothing to do with the sense of questioning that attaches to it now, that just because of the oral coincidence of it sounding like a syllable in words like quizit and inquisitive, that it started to take on some of that meaning. Yeah, but the more you dig into that earlier thing that was happening with the word in the late 18th century, the more fascinating little stories come up. And, you know, this is something that I've thought a lot about over the years, actually, because I remember reading about this word when I was a, a budding word nerd. Did you say <laughs> that you're fully blossomed at this point? <laughs> I, I'm, all, I'm always growing. You know, there's always more possibilities for word nerdhood, I'm pretty sure. You know, it would be hard for me to imagine you having your nerdishness expand. I, I, <laughs> at some point, you know... <laughs> At some point, you tax the physical limits of the universe. <laughs> Maybe I associate with this word quiz, you know, finding out that it actually referred to those sort of proto-nerds back in the day in the late uh, 18th century. But quiz was a word that would show up in these popular books of sort of weird and wacky word origins. Because there's a great story that goes along with it, which seems like this wonderful word lore. And it's sort of stuck with me. And I've always wondered, is this really true? So the basic story goes that quiz was actually the result of a bet. A Dublin theater manager named James Daly took a bet where he was challenged to make up a brand new word that has no meaning and get everybody in Dublin using it in 24 hours. And as a theater manager, he's got lots of people who work for him. So he gets them to write in chalk the word quiz all over town, all over the shutters of the buildings and everywhere else, 
This was on a Saturday night. And so Sunday morning, everybody's going to church and they look around and this strange word quiz is everywhere. And they wonder, what, what is this? What is quiz? So just based on that, the word quiz was on everyone's lips in Dublin and it became associated with weird or strange and unexplained things. And that's how we got the word quiz. James Daly won his bet because quiz became this very popular word. You know, I'm reminded of the movie Mean Girls, in which one of the characters kept trying to make the word fetch popular. She would use it hoping that it would catch on. That is so fetch. Gretchen, stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. But it sounds like Mr. Daly had some overnight success with his word. Yeah, it's funny. I'm also reminded of a Simpsons episode. Uh, My son and I have been sort of binge watching The Simpsons, and there's an episode, Krusty Gets Cancelled, where all of a sudden there are signs around Springfield saying, Gabbo, Gabbo is coming. Gabbo, Gabbo, Gabbo! Did you see that? Yeah. What's Gabbo? And everybody wants to know what it is, and it turns out it's the sort of howdy-doody ventriloquist's puppet that ends up taking over uh, Krusty's time slot or whatever. But it was a great example of, you know, just putting the word everywhere, and it piques people's interest, and they want to know what's going on, and, and, you know, they keep searching for explanations of what it could possibly mean. So this is in one of your word nerd books, but what's the reference? What's the provenance of the story? Well, the story itself goes back quite a ways. I've traced it all the way back to 1835. There were newspaper articles about the origin of the word, and they tell this story about Richard Daly, the Dublin theater owner, making this bet. And just the year after that, in 1836, that explanation actually enters a dictionary. There was a a dictionary writer named B.H. Smart, and he accepted that story. Mm, They should have called him B.H. Gullible. Well, it's funny, too, because if you look at the uh, explanations of this that were given in 1835, this was uh, the item that was getting shared in British newspapers. And it starts off saying, very few words ever took such a run or were saddled with so many meanings as this monosyllable. And however strange the word, tis still more strange that not one of our lexicographers from Bailey to Johnson ever attempted an explanation or gave a derivation of it. The reason is very obvious. It is because it has no meaning, nor is it derived from any language in the world ever known from the Babylonish confusion to this day. Just like you guys had trouble grasping onto it. Well, where could this word have possibly come from? They were having that same trouble in 1835. And so this story of the Irish theater owner getting the word popularized just as a completely random word was an enticing explanation that people accepted. You know, maybe we should not dismiss it out of hand, Mike. You know, if this guy Daly, the theater owner, was a kind of proto-Banksy, able to create word of mouth over graffiti, street art, Dublin was probably a lot smaller in the late 18th century. I can see how tongues would wag and advertisers do teaser campaigns all the time that are intended to do approximately the same thing and sometimes with success. So, you know, maybe he isn't gullible. Maybe he's pretty smart after all. Well, I really want to believe the story. I still want to believe the story. I Maybe because I read it when I was so young and at this formative age where it just seemed like the coolest thing. It's like, really? You could just make up a word and uh, write it all over town and then everybody's using it? And so I, I kept digging deeper to try to find out, is there any truth to this at all? Well, it turns out that a very similar word to quiz 
namely Quaz, Q-U-O-Z. Quaz. There are lots of reports of that appearing and people writing it in chalk, not in Dublin, but in London. So we have quiz purportedly being written in chalk at the behest of Daly in Dublin, and there are similar accounts of Quaz being written in chalk on people's houses in London. Uh, one quick follow-up question. Yeah. What the fuck is quaz? <laughs> <laughs> quaz. Well, ex- that's the question you're supposed to ask. What the fuck is quaz? If you saw the word quaz showing up all over town, you would want to know what is quaz. And so it came to mean, just like quiz, an odd or ridiculous person or thing. See, that was the who is Kaiser Sose question of its time. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So this idea that the word quaz, not quiz, was being chalked up all over town in London, not Dublin, is actually even mentioned by Thomas Paine in his famous tract, The Rights of Man, after the French Revolution, where he's defending the French Revolution from Edmund Burke. In the course of writing The Rights of Man in uh, 1792, he starts talking about the word constitution. The British claim they have a constitution. That's not a real constitution. It doesn't really mean anything when they call what they have a constitution. And he says, it has got into circulation like the words bore and quas by being chalked up in the speeches of parliament as those words were on window shutters and doorposts. Someone was chalking bore up, B-O-R-E, B-O-A-R, B-O-O-R? B-O-R-E, like calling someone a boring person. So now I'm on the trail of quaz, trying to think, well, what is Thomas Paine talking about? And there's some more information in a terrific book that people today are still familiar with, Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds, from Charles McKay. Tremendous book that talked about just how people can sort of suffer from mass delusions or can just latch on to certain fads. And, you know, he gives examples of the financial bubbles of the time and so forth. Tulip mania. Herd mentality. That's right. And in volume two of this book, which came out in 1852, he goes on about how catchphrases catch on. And he gives quaz as an example of it and how that took off in London. Now, he doesn't give an exact date of when it happened, but he says how, you know, London is peculiarly fertile in the sort of phrases which spring up suddenly. No one knows exactly in what spot and pervade the whole population in a few hours. No one knows how. He talks about quaz popping up. This odd word took the fancy of the multitude in an extraordinary degree and very soon acquired an almost boundless meaning. And I I love his description of how people use this word quaz. He says, when vulgar wit wished to mark its incredulity and raise a laugh at the same time, there was no resource so sure as this popular piece of slang. When a man was asked a favor which he did not choose to grant, he marked his sense of the suitor's unparalleled presumption by exclaiming, quaz. When a mischievous urchin wished to annoy a passenger and create mirth for his comrades, he looked him in the face and cried out, quaz. And the exclamation never failed in its object. It sounds kind of like douche of its day. (laughs) Yeah, in fact, it reminds me a bit of the way people nowadays use the word fail to describe someone else's, you know, egregious failure. Someone else's folly. Yeah, exactly. And he, he talks about how if you sort of get into an argument, you could just say the word quaz with a contemptuous curl of your lip 
an impatient shrug of your shoulders. The universal monosyllable conveyed all his meaning and not only told his opponent that he lied, but that he erred egregiously if he thought that anyone was such a nincompoop as to believe him. Every alehouse resounded with quaz. Every street corner was noisy with it. And every wall for miles around was chalked with it. There's the chalk again. <laughs> ben, at this stage, I have to ask Quo Vadis or Quas Vadis. <laughs> Where are you going with this? Okay. Well, I went through British newspaper databases from the 18th century and found out exactly when this was happening with the word Quas. Here's the first example that, that I found, and it's from August 15th, 1789, in a London newspaper called The World. At this point, it was clearly all over town. And this is going to tell you where this word quas came from. And here's the explanation. This queer word originated, we understand, in a bet. Ah. There's the bet. <laughs> <laughs> I saw this and I was like, yes, okay, a bet. Two gentlemen betted a dinner to be given by the loser at the London Tavern that one of them should fix upon any odd, absurd expression which should in a given time become the town talk. The other laid, he did not. Quas was the word chosen, and the bet has been acknowledged to be lost. And then it gives examples of how this word quas was chalked up over town in London and how people then started making their own funny variations on the theme. They actually tell you whose doors had this word quas written on them. Uh, ben, it's beginning to sound like urban myth, where we've come to accept the idea that, uh, I don't know, Jerry Mathers was killed in Vietnam, or if people tell stories about how, oh, this happened to their cousin, found mm -hmm. a tarantula mm -hmm. in their uh, exactly. large fries at McDonald's or something like that. And the details are remarkably similar, although the time and place and participants you know, change based on who's telling the story. Well, here's what I'm prepared to believe, Bob, that perhaps there was a bet in London and the word was quas, and the Irish appropriated the story, not to be outdone by the English, altered the word to quiz, and ironically, the word ends up catching on in the appropriated version. Yeah, I think that could be what actually happened. So the story originates with Quas in 1789, but then people forget about it. I mean, Quas just sort of fades out of the language, and then the old story gets attached to Quiz, even though Quiz was already around at that point. Again, remember, the word Quiz dates back to the early 1780s. It predates Quas. Quas comes on the scene in 1789 at a time when Quiz was already this funny new word that people were using. Possibly then, quas was a play on quiz, a new word, and quas caught on in this funny way with people chalking it up all over London. Quas fades away, and then the story attaches itself to the word that people remember, quiz. However, we still don't know where the word quiz comes from. Sadly, that's true. But as I dug into this more, you know, I kind of gravitated more towards quaz than quiz, maybe because I was tired of quiz. So you're, you're basically that guy right now who's like origin unknown. Well, Which he said in the beginning. <laughs> I, mean, I warned you. I warned you that the, we wouldn't get us. much satisfaction. <laughs> okay. and, and I must say, Ben, you asserted that this would be a fascinating story. And I said, well, we'll be the judge of that. <laughs> and I don't know about you, Mike, but I think he made good his promise. I just have one question. What you just told us, 
Will will this be on the quas? <laughs> Don't be so quasical. <laughs> I, you know, I think we need to revive quas. It's really due for a comeback. Well, I mean, see, that's has... where I was going to go. It's not. We should work. do that, Mike. We should do somehow through some mechanism, beginning with this here podcast, try to chalk the doors of the world with quas, and we should get our listeners to chalk the doors of their worlds. With quads. It's not a word that can catch on. It's not. I think phonetically, it's too <laughs> awkward and unpleasant to it's say. It's no more awkward or unpleasant than quiz. I and disagree. Quizzes. I disagree. Well, I, I think feel that the a wager hangs in the offing. <laughs> <laughs> I would be all for it. Hey, listen. Well, maybe the 21st century equivalent of chalking it up all over town is to turn it into a hashtag and, and see how the hashtag quaz does. Okay, so maybe Gretchen wasn't able to make fetch happen but we can make quaz happen hashtag quaz spread it around twitter you can follow us there at lexicon valley you could write to us lexicon valley at slate.com that's lexicon valley at slate.com please subscribe to our feed in itunes if you haven't already done so search for lexicon valley in the itunes store thanks so much ben zimmer and thanks to andy bowers the executive producer of slate's podcasts all right mike are we done here quaz <laughs> Guys are so zay. Later, Gator. Gator.